Thank you, Nell. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 26 and 27. If you have a prayer slip or visitor slip, we would love to collect them. Kenny and Will are heading up the aisle, and they will pick those up from you, and we'll certainly be praying for you in this coming week. For those visiting with us, we're really glad that you're here this morning. And it has been... Um, our focus for some time, the book of Romans, and we've been in chapter 8 for some time now, and we come to verses 26 and 27, and I want to talk to you this morning about uh, the Spirit's help. Uh, so full was my heart on this subject that not only will we talk about it this week, but we're going to look at uh, the same topic next week. And I'm just so grateful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I want us to be well-informed and taught on the indwelling Spirit, Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And He is, His presence um, intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray. I was reminded of that this week. I'm just thinking about uh, what it means to be a part of a church family. On the front of our bulletin, we say to all who are spiritually weary and seek rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who struggle and desire victory, uh, for all who sin and need a savior, um, and to whoever will come, uh, we open wide our doors and in the welcome of our Lord Jesus Christ, point others to him. And I was reminded of the importance of a church family and being connected spiritually with brothers and sisters when I met with Ray and Wanda McPherson. And they're dealing with a particularly great trial uh, today. Uh, this past week, um, their son David died. And um, uh, Ray and Wander in their 80s, and uh, today is David's funeral, and Ray is going to preach it. And so uh, I want to really intercede for him and pray that the Spirit of God would guide him as he opens um, the gospel to his family and beyond and comfort them in their grief. When we come to Romans 8, we have much to be grateful for. We have um, much to be amazed over. And the reason that Romans 8 is such an amazing mountain peak of Scripture is because it speaks to the believer's past, the believer's present, and the believer's future. And in speaking to our past, present, and future, uh, we, are, we are filled with redemption, we are filled with comfort, and we're filled with hope by God's continuing work in us. So it speaks to our past. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Our past has been dealt with through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is the message of the gospel, that God has sent forth His Son, has acted in real time, that um, you and I are called to repent of our sins and to believe on him. His perfect life, his death on the cross paid for our sins. His resurrection from the dead proved that he really was one who could give hope. And that by believing in him, we are brought into God's forever family. And not only that, we will never be condemned because of him. He bore our sin in his body on the tree. So our past has been dealt with. Yes, Christians sin. Yes, we mourn over our mistakes and uh, our transgressions. But there is hope and forgiveness for us. There are new beginnings in Christ because he paid it all. We will never enter into heaven based upon our good works, only on the merit of Christ alone. It also speaks to our present. Look at verse 11. 
of Romans 8. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So think of of that for a moment. Every believer has the spirit of God dwelling in them. This is the same spirit that raised him from the dead, Jesus. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There's no such thing as a Christian who does not have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. This is the truth that you and I need to internalize and we need to remember. The Spirit of the living God, the third person of the Trinity, dwells within us. Well, I don't feel like it. It's not, it doesn't say, if you feel like it, He really does dwell within you. The Spirit of God, Christian, dwells within you, conforming you into His image. In this whole picture of first fruits, which we see in verse 23, that the Spirit of God is the first fruits of greater things yet to come. Uh, as, he, as he speaks about the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for the adoption of sons. The Spirit of God is a down payment of greater things yet to come. The first fruits were given as a, a testimony that God owns all the harvest and the joy and the peace and the love that we know now in the Christian life because of the Holy Spirit is a down payment of infinitely greater things to come. Maybe you're wondering, yeah, I've been wondering about this in my life. Uh, what, what about now? As I think about my Christian life, what about the, the daily pressures that, that come as I try to navigate uh, a world that's hostile to God, as we come to terms with our frailty and the crushing blows of life, as we face our weaknesses in our pursuit to follow Jesus Christ? What about now? We'll come back to that in just a moment with the indwelling spirit but even in our groaning, he is with us. Romans 8 could rightly be called a, a chapter that confirms Jesus' promise that the helper has come. And in this chapter, we see a, a picture of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit working together in the believer's life. There are 27 references to the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans. Uh, Romans 8 carries the lion's share. 17 times there's a reference to the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. It's a treasure trove of insight into the Spirit's work in your life and in mine. And I think is really at the heart of experiencing change and growth in the Christian life. In Romans 8, just a quick look in the present. We experience the fruit of, of the Spirit's presence in our life. He, he brings life and in, in peace to us, verse 6 says. He empowers um, us to, to, to put to death besetting sins, to overcome them. Verse 13 and 14, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. He leads us, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Children of God sons of God. And to be led by the Spirit means I'm saying no to sin. I'm, I'm learning to serve the Lord. I have new taste buds spiritually about what I'm going to give my heart and life to. I have reordered priorities. I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and wanting Him to be glorified in my life. 
I've become a witness for him because he has saved me and I want my family and my friends and my neighbors and I want the world to know that he's a great and awesome God. And what he's done for me, he can do for you. Just as Paul said in 1 Timothy, it's a trustworthy statement, worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I'm foremost. He removes our fear and reassures us that we're children of God. In him we lose the sense that God is against us. He's not against us. He is for us. He is in us. He is moving through us to a destiny in Christ, which leads us to the future. And that's where we've been in recent weeks, that we have a future and a hope. Christianity is based upon the hope that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And another picture of first fruits, because he is risen, those in him shall rise again to a resurrection hope. He is our blessed hope. He is the hope of glory. Now remain these three, faith, hope, and love, uh, these great virtues. We are a hopeful people. So are you led by the Spirit? Are you led by the Spirit of God? Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think when you wake up in the morning, the Spirit of the living God dwells within me? It's a down payment of greater things yet to come. The little wonder that we're commanded to be led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, we're not to grieve the Spirit, we're not to quench the Spirit. All of these things are the mark of a true child of God. So let's look at verses 26 and 27 this morning. And the helper promised by Jesus, our great advocate and paraclete has come alongside and the spirit of God, which is really the sign of the new covenant, dwells within us. I, I wanna notice first, if you're following along on your insert, and I hope you will, let's look first at prayer in the Holy Spirit. Alex mentioned something uh, a moment ago when he was reading this text to us is uh, we all have felt the awkwardness of prayer. Nothing could be more clear in reading the Bible that, than that you and I are to be men and women of prayer, people of prayer. Uh, Jesus said you should always pray and not lose heart. We know that we're to be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication we're to let our requests be made known to God. And yet it is a baffling thing at times, isn't it? Um, how do I pray according to God's will? How do I understand the mind of Christ? L look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Likewise. Well, what's that referring to? Well, what came before it in this hope that we have in Christ? The idea here is that we endure sufferings in this world, whether it be cancer or persecution, whether it be a financial disaster um, or the death of a loved one. All suffering is, as believers, comes into our life as an opportunity for us to honor Jesus Christ. So likewise, the idea here is that we endure sufferings in this life, but, but we're able to handle them in two ways. One, by the hope that we are facing a sure redemption. That the present struggles, the struggles of this time right now don't even begin to compare with the eternal weight of glory that God has for those who love him, the, those who are in Christ. We endure these sufferings 
because of our hope. And secondly, here it tells us, by the help of the Holy Spirit in prayer. So I'm relieved that I don't have to have everything figured out when I go into the presence of God to talk about perplexing things in my life. He knows many things we know that we ought to be doing, but when things come that are so devastating, so challenging, there's, th- th- this ought to just lift a burden from your heart and mine. I'm praying and I'm preaching this morning that you would leave here today with a great love for God the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. You would love him and give thanks for the hope that he gives and the guidance he gives praying um, when you don't know what to pray. So Paul's teaching about prayer in these verses really can be linked back up to verse 15 and 16 or 15 through 17, where he taught the Holy Spirit enables us to pray, assuring us that we truly are God's children and encouraging us to cry out, Abba, Father, and utter dependence upon him, that he hears us and comes to us. This teaching on prayer leads to an application of how we're to deal with sufferings that come. So I want you to consider suffering in this life Maybe you're saying, I don't need to consider it. I'm dealing with it right now. Whether it's struggles in your family, struggles at work, struggles with your health, struggles with your finances, struggles with how you're to relate to to God and what it means to be truly right with him. You know, I think on the suffering scale, Maybe this may not do much for you, but it is sobering when I think about this. On the suffering scale of world suffering, living in this culture, it's not that bad. I'm not saying we don't suffer. I'm not saying the tears don't come, but I mean, when I think of what it means to, to live for Christ, when we have brothers and sisters in the persecuted world, where the government's putting microphones in their homes and watching where they go and um, knowing that in any moment they could be swept away to prison. I'm just, I'm reminded even of saying that of a a wife, a, a sister in Christ in East Asia meeting with her. Her husband had been gone for six or eight weeks. They didn't know where he was. He was just arrested off the street. Nobody knew where he was. Not knowing if he'd ever come back. I'm thinking, I, that is so foreign to me when often my suffering is the air conditioner's not working quite right. And so as we look at what it means to suffer for Christ, I'm praying that I would put in your mind and in mine, am I willing to stand for him? Am I willing to speak for him? Am I willing to honor him? We're not having to hole up in some undisclosed location. We meet freely. We lift our voices. We don't sing in hushed tones for fear of being arrested. More about that in just a moment. But the Holy Spirit, secondly, is key to our prayer, that we're called to call upon the Lord, and when we don't know what to pray, he intercedes for us. It says here in the text, before I move on, I wanna just note, likewise, 
The Spirit helps us. That's not let go and let God. That's not the picture here. The idea is he's the burden bearer. It, it describes someone who comes alongside and helps carry the burden. It doesn't mean we lift, throw the burden away or it's taken away, but it's speaking of the Spirit of God coming and ministering in ways that can't even be articulated. Which leads, secondly, to this ministry of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is an ever-present help in a time of trouble. That means God is with us. Christian, God is with you every moment of every day. I thought of Psalm 46, where it says in verse 1, God is our refuge, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. In Psalm 91, one of my favorite verses is verse 1, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High abides under the shadow, the covering of the Almighty. Sometimes we don't know how the circumstances will work out. We don't know which way to go. We don't know how to pray. And that can bring despair. But this verse rescues us from that. That the Spirit of God intercedes for us. He helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So the Spirit of God links with our groanings. And I think that refers back to living in this futi- the futility of this world. The fallenness of this world. The crying out for redemption in this world, the Spirit of God intercedes with groanings too deep to be uttered. Sometimes we don't know how the circumstances will will go. Now, let me just pause here for a moment because I found myself time and time again wanting to demystify uh, the will of God. Because there is a mystery about it, that is true. But Scripture presents the will of God in a number of ways. It presents it in ways by which we can know the will of God and do the will of God. How do we know that? Well, it's based upon what is commanded. What is commanded? Turn the page to, uh, or two, to Philippians chapter 5. Here, after Paul really calling them to be imitators of God as dear children, he calls them to live differently. We're not to live the way the world lives, given over to immorality and impurity and we're to walk as light in the Lord, as children of light, bearing fruit to that end and not to be enmeshed in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. But notice in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. There's a care that we should give in living our life. We should not live a life that's unexamined. Look carefully then how you walk, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. We all learn from our mistakes. Sometimes we have to learn several times, but not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. We're under the tyranny of the clock in many ways. Making the best use of our time for the Lord, for His glory in our life because the days are evil. I don't think you need to be convinced of that, do you? 
the days are evil. That's not, that pastor, he's kind of pessimistic. No, that's just speaking truth. The days are evil. Paul wrote of that in the first century. We live in a world that's passing away. Our hope is in the Lord. We're to pursue life in that way. Now notice verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There you have it. That's something we can understand and do. What's he talking about here? He's talking about obeying the commanded will of God, what we find in Scripture. And so we know that we're to uh, honor the Lord with our life. We know that we're to serve the Lord with gladness. We know that as believers, we're to be united with a local church where we can serve together under Christ. We know that we're to give of the resources he's given. We know that we're to be a witness for his glory. We know that our life is to be pursuing holiness. I could go on all day with what we know we ought to do. That's the will of God. Make sure you're doing it. So there ought to be a sense of as we're leaving here, we're dealing with the decisions of life and we're faced with decisions. Well, God's word says this. What do I need to do? I need to do that. That's what I need to do. It also says in Romans 12, Paul says, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies to him as a living sacrifice. And that by presenting ourselves to him as a living sacrifice, through the renewing of my mind, I I begin to discern what the will of God is. I need to stop doing that, and I need to start doing this. I need to leave that behind, and I need to pursue this in my life. Because God's got a call on my life and I love him and I want to serve him because he's redeemed my life from destruction and crowned me with loving kindness and tender mercy. So understanding and discerning the will of God, there is much we do know. But I think the the reference back at the ranch in Romans 8 is the things that we don't know. It says here in verse 27, the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when we don't know what to do and we're hit with something in this life that's devastating and hard, don't lose heart, Christian. The spirit of the living God dwells within us and he intercedes on our behalf when we don't know what to pray or where to go. We're not lost. We're not condemned. We're not left alone. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So in life circumstances, what do, what do I mean about, you know, not knowing what to pray? I, I want to give you another cross-reference this morning in Philippians 1. Would you turn there to the book of Philippians? Paul's letter to the Philippians that he wrote from Rome. He was in prison. So one to the right of Ephesians. In chapter, he loved this church. But if you remember from Acts 16, Paul experienced great trial in Philippi. Um, He delivered a demon-possessed girl and the owners of this girl who were reaping a profit on her fortune-telling and so forth uh, suffered great loss. And so they made sure that Paul and Silas were beaten. And so they're in the Philippian prison and they're smarting, they're hurting because of the, the rods. And it's about midnight and they're singing to the Lord and God brings an earthquake and brings a wonderful deliverance. Um, so he 
loved this church, even though there, there were hard times in it. And he, 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 he speaks about this indecision a bit as um, he's talking about the advance of the gospel, living for the gospel. And he says in verse 8, the last part of 18, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So in other words, I'm in prison now, but I'm, I don't know how it's going to go. I could stay here for years. I could be released tomorrow. I could be killed in an hour. I don't know. So what keeps you from losing your mind and the reminder of who you are? It is the Spirit of God, and he referenced the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. I find myself praying that, Lord, I want to finish well. I want to finish well. Help me to finish well by living today submitted to you. I don't want to be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. So there, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. And then he goes on to say, for me to live is Christ, and to die is what? For me to live is Christ, and to die, well, that's more Christ, because I'm with him. But he goes on to talk about this dilemma. He says in verse 22, I, I, if I'm to live in the flesh, this means fruitful labor for me. So if I live on, then I'm going to serve the Lord, hopefully fruitfully. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. So what do you do when you're hard-pressed? You trust that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is interceding with groanings too deep to be uttered whether by sickness or hardship of prison, or whether to, to trust him to help you die in a way that honors Jesus Christ, we don't always know. But we need not despair. It's okay, the Holy Spirit knows, and he's praying. Keep crying out to the Lord. You know what I take away from this, these two verses that I hope will be a comfort to you? And that is, not only does the Lord know, and not only is he interceding for you, but remember God is for you, not against you. That's at the heart of this chapter. He's not against you. I think sometimes people think of God in heaven with a clipboard just kind of evaluating you, disinterested, maybe disengaged. That's not the God of the Bible. He's not watching you with a clipboard in hand, evaluate. He's with you. He's in you. You have a destiny in Christ. In your weakness, in your loss, in your diagnosis, whatever that may be, in your grief, in your danger, the Spirit of God is praying for you and is not against you. Not only that, even in, when the storms come, His peace is available I think of that picture in the gospel where Jesus is out on the boat with the disciples and the storm comes and he's taking a nap on the stern of the boat. His peace is available. His peace can come to your troubled heart this morning. Some people say, I don't need religion. That's for cripples. That's, not, or that, that's for weak-minded people. That's not bad when you're, 
when you're crippled by sin. He's what we need most. He can come to your troubled heart. He can come to your troubled family. This very day, if you would call upon him and walk with him. Even in the storms of life, the Spirit intercedes for us, not against us. Be encouraged that as you cling to Christ and groan for his glory in your uncertain plans and pain, the Spirit is with you, not against you. Let's go back to that idea of weakness. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's third, and we'll stop here for this morning. That's why we have part two. So the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, in our weaknesses. So weakness is not sin. That's not what he's describing here. He's not describing our sins. Sinners indeed, and we often make a mess of things, sin is a barrier to our communication with God. So let's just say up front that the greatest need you and I have is for that barrier to be removed, and that barrier is removed with a personal relationship with Christ. That is the whole purpose of the cross. That is why, why he died. That is why he said from the cross, it is finished. The sin, our sin barrier, our sin debt was paid in full. But as believers, we still battle with indwelling sin that can disrupt the fellowship we have with the Lord. Not our standing, but our fellowship I think of Psalm 66, 18, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. That ought to drive us to do what? Lord, search me and try me. Create in me a clean heart. I want to begin again anew, afresh with you today. My sins have stacked up. I need for you to clear the deck that I might walk in the newness of life that you have for me. I think of Psalm 50, or excuse me, Isaiah 59, where it says, Behold, the hand of the Lord is not too short to save, but your iniquities have separated you between you and your God. So repent. Turn to him. Run to him. Be honest about your sins and ask for a new beginning. And so, you know, that's not what's being spoken of here in Romans 8. Yes, that needs to be done. It's critical to a right standing with God. But when Paul says that, our, uh, speaks about our weaknesses, uh, he's, he's concerned with weakness, not sin, rather grounded in the frailty of human beings. He's talking about what it means to be human, and that means to be frail. To be frail. To be weak. And that we resist that with all of our might. When we're younger, we think about future suffering. You know, we, we, that's not even on our radar when we think about our bodies giving way, but it happens. It happens sometimes quicker than you think. The knees lock up, the mind goes. Look, think of every body part, there's a problem with it in one form or another. I'll spare you the anatomy, but I mean, all the way from top to bottom. It happens. It's part of being human and the weaknesses that come in a sin-fallen world. Physical weakness. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And this weakness is ignorance or lack of understanding. Here, uh, the, the word can mean not only, certainly the limitations of human nature, but weakness owing to sickness. 
weakness owing uh, to adversity. Uh, that's how the, the word is used in the New Testament. James Boyce wrote, when Paul writes the word weakness, he adds the word our, thereby putting himself in an identical position. In other words, the weakness that makes prayer difficult is not something that only new baby immature Christians face. It is part of our common human condition. Even the greatest saints have had this difficulty. Like who, pastor? Well, how about Job? He was the most righteous man in his day. And just a short time, he had lost everything, and he's reeling in his pain. And often we, we're familiar with Job 1, 2, and 3, and then Job 42, but there's a series of speeches where he's having to fight off the hyenas of his so-called friends. And in Job uh, 7, he says, he, he prayed, why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? He said, this is Job talking to God. Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? I don't know what's going on. Job teaches that a man can be righteous and still not know what to pray. So for those under the banner of the new covenant of Jesus Christ who have the spirit of God dwelling within us, the spirit intercedes in our weaknesses even when we don't know what's going on. How about Elijah, the great prophet who on Mount Carmel had a showdown with the prophets of Baal and God answered with fire and Israel said in in this miraculous moment, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You would think Elijah would never have a bad day the rest of his life after seeing God move with such power. But you turn the page in 1 Kings from chapter 18 to chapter 19, and Jezebel is pursuing Elijah because he had just had all of her prophets of Baal slaughtered and he's on the run. What did he pray? He asked to die. What a juxtaposition when you look at 1 Kings 18 and 1 Kings 19. He said, I have had enough, Lord. Ever been there? I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Take me out of here. Beam me up. And so he was confused. Elijah teaches that a person can be courageous on Mount Carmel and still have some problems. Mary Magdalene. I love the story, Mary Magdalene. Luke records that she was delivered from a pack of demons. Um, many scholars think that she was from Magdala, which was a city of unsavory reputation, and many thought that she was a prostitute. But she was there. She never forgot how much Jesus had done for her, and she was willing to be identified with him at the cross. She was there early at the tomb. She wanted to be with him. She greatly loved Jesus. Still, 
Love was no defense against ignorance or a lack of understanding. She had not the faintest idea what God was doing through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So when Jesus saw her in the garden, when met her in the garden after the resurrection, thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. She was deeply devout and still confused on all that was going on. You can be righteous, you can be courageous, you can be devout and still not know. So what's the hope of this passage? The spirit of the living God dwells within us. And when we don't know and we're up against it, and some of you in this room are up against it, and I want and pray for you to leave today with a sense of renewed hope, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world What a beautiful call to approach the throne of God boldly, not timidly. We're going to sing in just a moment a wonderful song that kind of captures the hope that we have. Thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. I pray that this time in the book of Romans, chapter 8, has brought light to your life and maybe in the appeal a moment ago for you to receive Jesus Christ this morning, your heart's been stirred and you know that you need him. The path to a new beginning begins at the foot of the cross where you understand your sin and what Christ has done for you and the empty tomb that he's alive forevermore and for you to repent of your sins and believe on him and join the rest of us sinners here who seek to live a life that honors him. Maybe God has put his finger on something. Maybe you're up against it and you need the Lord to minister. Would you learn to be still? Would you learn to trust him? Would you take on face value these two